Sawyer family band, and uh, Kathy is from around here. But David is a native Texan like me, right, David? East Texas, right? I'm from Dallas area. You from? Yeah, they live near Fort Worth now, so I, I like hearing a little bit of that Texas twang. It makes me feel a little bit like I'm back home a little bit, you know, where I grew up. So thank you, guys. And uh, Leah is a ninth grader, and David is a sixth grader. So, you know, you may be wondering, how are they so good, so young? But they are. They are so good. So thank you, guys. So great job. You're playing it, and give you a little props. You're playing again somewhere tonight, right? So if you want to talk to them after the service or Butch and Jan, they're playing somewhere tonight, and they're playing at Second Half Adventurers here at lunchtime on Tuesday, which is great. Thanks, guys. Well, glad to see you all here. We're continuing in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We're nearing the end of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We have today and then next week. Jerry will be back next week. He is uh, finishing up his time with a group of CPCers on a mission trip in Romania. And so since it's several hours later, I bet he's already preached there today. He was preaching there today uh, in Romania. And then uh, after next week, then we'll be heading up to Easter. So Palm Sunday and Easter. So it doesn't seem that could be that soon, but it is, it's not too far away. So coming soon. So as we near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's good to remind ourselves what it's all about, this Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So it's about Jesus teaching his followers, sitting on a mountainside near the Sea of Galilee. And he's teaching them what it means to follow him and to develop a new kind of Christian community. And although we break up each week into a chunk of Jesus' sermon, it's really just three chapters in Matthew, it all goes together. And so last week, John preached on Matthew 6, and it ended this way. Liz alluded to it in her prayer as well. Jesus said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus has been teaching his followers to seek God first. Don't worry so much, especially about everyday things. Uh, In the Lord's Prayer a little earlier, Jesus says to ask for daily bread, so our daily things that we need. He he said to pray for God's kingdom to come uh, to earth uh, like it is in heaven. And so what would earth be like if it was more like heaven? We would have people um, caring for each other more. We would be peacemakers, salt and light out in our communities, Uh, you know, following God's commandments, going the second mile to helping each other, you know, learning to pray for our enemies and love our enemies, giving to the those who are needy in secret so we don't bring attention to ourselves storing up treasures in heaven. So there's a lot to learn there, a lot challenging. Well, let's add to that today by reading the first half of Matthew chapter 7. It's verses 1 through 14. It'll be up on the screens. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, 
The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, as we study the scripture today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, like all of the Sermon on the Mount, it's uh, it's pretty simple. Jesus' teaching is pretty straightforward. It's kind of hard to uh, sometimes read between the lines because it's pretty simple, but it's also really challenging. So let's dive right in. What does it mean not to judge? Well, Liz alluded to this in her prayer that the Pharisees created a lot of extra rules, and so it was easy to use those rules to judge. But it's easy for us to do that too, right? We have places in our lives where it's easy to judge. So Jesus gives us some instruction on that. He says, take the log or the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's eye. Now, I know you all to be good people. Now, some of you I know better than others. But I find you, as I know you, as I see you on Sunday mornings or as I see you during the week or as I've had a chance to uh, get close to you, to not be a judgmental people. So why would people think that Christians are judgmental? And yet sometimes they do. In the TV show, The Simpsons, a great show, Homer Simpson has next door neighbors named Maude and Ned Flanders. Now Maude was missing. There was an episode where Maude was missing. They wondered where they were, where she was. So here's a picture of Maude Flanders. There she is. Okay. And uh, one of the Simpsons said this about her. Maude, as it turns out, is actually alive and had gone to Bible camp for the weekend to learn to be more judgmental. So unfortunately, that's what some of the world thinks uh, of us. And yet, I don't find that to be true at all for you. And yet, there are times, I know, where I can be judgmental. So it's something I think Jesus calls us all uh, to work on. What does it mean to be judgmental? One scholar says that we often judge others to make ourselves look better or feel better. I find that true in my own life. We can exaggerate others' faults, but minimize our own. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. First, look at yourself. Take the log out so you can see better. And if I am judgmental, I need to change my viewpoint by clearing my vision uh, so I can see the world in a different way, in a better way, in a more like Jesus kind of way. So here's a story about me. I grew up in Dallas, as I said, uh, and I grew up in a very uh, wealthy and white part of Dallas, Texas. And in my early 20s, before I went to seminary, I worked at an inner city school called Dallas Can Academy. It was a small little school. It was for kids who were high school dropouts. And so they came to the school to try to work on their GED, their high school equivalency diploma, or to work on their grades a little bit to go back to public schools. And so at times it was kind of a rough place. It was right near downtown Dallas. And it was challenging for me because I kind of compared my situation to their situation. I was a young guy in my 20s. 
Now, I was an honor student in high school. I got through college easily, and I didn't really understand why people would drop out of high school. Now, some of the kids that were there, a lot of them actually, uh, as teenagers, already had um, drug addictions. And there were some of the girls that were teen moms. And I, I found myself, I think, being judgmental about some of these kids because I thought, you know, well, if I could handle school easy, school came easy for me, why wouldn't it come easy for them? You know, why would someone want to go ruin their lives by doing drugs or having babies when before they're ready and then drop out of school? Who does that? Why would they be doing that? Well, we had a young lady at this school who was a teen mom. And I, as I talked to her, I got to learn a little bit more of her story. It turns out she was a teen mom. Um, her mother was a single mom. She lived with her mom. Her mom was a drug addict. And it turns out her mom was even taking the daughter's money in order to buy drugs. So she has a new baby. She's a teen mom. She's trying to come back and get her GED to make something of her life. And uh, she was struggling. And as I said, I lived in Dallas. I was close to my parents at the time. And I told my parents about this. And my mom and I said, well, we're going to gather some things together, you know, some baby clothes and some food and maybe some gifts and uh, go find where she lives and see, see what we can do. So we went to her place. It was an apartment in a very rough area of Dallas, and I'll admit, as we drove up there and parked and got out and started to carry the things in, I was a little nervous. But we found her apartment, and we went there. Her mom wasn't home. She was there, and we dropped off the clothes and the food and the baby things there, and then she wanted to show us uh, her baby. So we went over to a different part of this little small apartment, and she had a dresser drawers, and there in the dresser drawers was one of the drawers pulled out, and there were some blankets laid out in the drawer, and her baby was laid in the bank blankets in the dresser drawer because she didn't have a crib. And I think that day I, I changed a little bit because I, I think I saw poverty at a very deep level and really a cycle of poverty. For this young lady, she was desperate, and she didn't really have a lot of answers in her life. And that was the day when I, th I think I began to lose some judgment, at least I had for this one young lady, and began to look at the world in a little different viewpoint and saw that I needed to take the log, out of, log of judgment out of my own eye in order to look at her differently with an eye of compassion and what could I do to help. So what are the places where we need to clear our vision, to take the logs out of our own eyes? You know, where, where is that for you? And that doesn't just go back to me when I was in my 20s in Dallas, Texas. It goes for me today as well, uh, right here, right now. Some of the ZPC dads, I think I see a couple of them here uh, today, we're, we're doing a class on Sunday mornings. It's called Strong Fathers and Strong Daughters. It's a video series by a lady named Meg Meeker. And about week three, she had a teaching for dads, and she talked about how dads needed to serve with their daughters. And she said, why do we do this? She said it teaches humility. It helps dad to show their kids, their daughters, how to be salt and light. And when we serve someone in need, it changes our viewpoint. I don't know about you, but when I've gone places to serve, it helps me change my view, oftentimes my view of the world. We see people oftentimes for who they really are when we go places and serve. Uh, we see sometimes people who are very poor have more faith than those who are rich or who have uh, a relatively easy life. We get to know people for who they really are. We see that they have similar issues to us. We see people when they're parents that oftentimes really what they want, they just want to raise their kids in a safe environment, put a roof over their heads, uh, get food and help raise them with a faith and a future. 
And for daughters, it can help our dads to see that we're out of our comfort zones, that we're trying to serve, that it humbles us, that it puts us maybe in uncomfortable positions to do things that we don't normally do or don't know how to do. And it helps our daughters or our kids see a different viewpoint about us. So serving, especially with our kids or grandkids or with others, can help us to take the logs out of our own eyes, change our viewpoints, and see others more the way that Jesus sees them. Well, that's the first part in this passage, verses 1 through 5. And then we come to this strange part. I don't know if you picked up on this when we read it, but it's in verse 6 where it said this. Jesus says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. And so I was wondering, what does that mean, okay? So I was reading a little bit this week, and one scholar says that Jesus is basically saying, don't force feed the gospel to those who don't want it. Don't be pushy on the gospel. That oftentimes the result, if we're, if we're force feeding the gospel to people who do not want to hear it, that may be the time that then they can be judgmental of us, that they're not ready for it. And so we are called to share the gospel, but to be wise in that and to do it in a way that is gracious um, and thoughtful and in a way so that others may not choose then to be judgmental of us. We go on to Matthew 7, <clears throat> where Jesus says to ask, seek, and knock. And here's where our view of prayer, I think, can be changed too, a, a viewpoint about how we pray, that we need a clearer vision, a different viewpoint of prayer here, and Jesus teaches that um, to us as well. And it's a really beautiful, short little passage. It can look like this. It can just look as simply as we can remember it. Ask, seek, and knock. And then as we read the whole thing, it can be broken down into these three parts that go together sort of poetically, where it says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So again, Jesus teaches with simplicity, but I think also with a challenge for us to trust in him, not worrying, as we talked about last week, but seeking God first above the things of this world and asking him for anything that we need. And so Jesus is saying that he will hear our prayers and answer them. And I know uh, when I was growing up, I became a Christian at a young age, around age eight or nine, and I remember being even a young teenager and understood the Bible pretty well. I was in a good church, a healthy church. And remember reading passages like this and thinking, well, then if Jesus is saying that, I can pray for all kinds of stuff, right? You know, he says he's going to answer. He says, if I ask, he's going to give what I ask. He's going to give to me if I, you know, knock on the door. Okay, Jesus, I'm knocking. But I found out you don't always get what you ask for. So I said, there may be something wrong maybe with the way I'm asking. And even today... You know, when the Powerball was so high, right? You know, I didn't pray for that and I didn't play the Powerball, but I thought about it. Um, But I think me winning the Powerball jackpot does not probably align with God's plan for my life. And you might think, well, why not? Well, you might think about if you win the Powerball, who needs God, right? And the thing is, is that we all need God. We all have needs in our lives. We need God. We need to ask of him for our needs. God wants his kingdom to come on earth, and he knows what is best for each of you, for me. He knows what is best for the world. And sometimes our plans or our wishes or our wants are not God's wants. But if we pray the Lord's Prayer with a new open mind for his kingdom to come, we begin to pray uh, more like the way that God is thinking. 
And so we pray for things that we actually need and maybe for those around us for what they need instead of more of the things that we want. And yet we are still supposed to ask. Our prayers are not just to be uh, confession and praise and things. They are to be asking as well. Dale Bruner, who's a biblical scholar, says, it is good to ask in our prayers because it is worshipful. How is it worshipful? He says, asking God to provide for our needs lets God be God, and it frees us up to be the people that we are called to be. Uh, asking God in our prayers lets God be God, so it's part of worship. Now, God sometimes answers with a no or a wait or sometimes a yes or with an answer that is better than anything that we ask for. So this is sort of like taking the log out of our own eye for prayer as well. Prayer is not just praising God or asking for things. It is trying to align our asking, our seeking with what God is already wanting in his life to, to try to align the things in our lives, um, you know, in our specific situations with the things that will, will align with what God wants for us as well. And as I think about this, I, I really like Psalm 37 verse 4. And it goes along a little bit with ask, seek, and knock. It says this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, what about if, if your heart's desires are good, right? God wants to give you the good desires of your heart. And yet he asks something as well, okay? It's not just cheap grace. He asks something as well. So that's Psalm 37, 4. Here's verses 3, 4, and 5 in order. So it says this, trust in the Lord and do good. There's our part. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. But what are we to do? We're to commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. So God says he's going to give us the desires of our heart. So that's his part, right? But he asked for us to do our part as well. We're to trust in him, we're to take delight in him, and we're to commit our ways to him. So we're to ask for good things that align with God's will. So I was trying to think of some examples in my life where we tried to align my prayers with what God's prayers are and what God's wills are. About two years ago, my family and I and several church members started praying and kind of planning uh, to see if we could apply for a grant through the Lilly Endowment. And the first year we applied, we didn't get it. And that was okay. So the answer was no, or the answer was wait. So we made some changes. We reapplied last year, and we did get the grant. And so I think God was saying this was, he wanted to answer yes, but it wasn't the right time the first time. Right now in my family, a big thing is my son Jacob is getting ready to go to college, but we're not sure where he's going yet. He's not sure where he's going yet. So the clock is ticking, right? So you can bet in our household, we're praying a lot. God, where is it that you desire for Jacob to, uh, to go to college? Where is it you want Jacob to be next August and September? And we think that's really in alignment with God's will because we feel like that's the next best step for him. Thursday night, I sat in this room with several people and it's at the beginning of the men's great banquet and several of us prayed for the men who were part of the great banquet to have open minds, to have open hearts, and to really see God during the next 72 hours as they were here on this spiritual retreat. We were trying to align our prayers with God's will and what he wanted for these men. Now, aligning ourselves with God's will also means choosing the narrow road. This is the last two verses 
of this part of Matthew 7. Jesus says this in verses uh, 13 and 14. He says, The broad road leads to destruction, and this can be the road of the world. But the narrow road leads to the narrow gate, which is life with Jesus. Jesus' way is more narrow. It goes back to seeking him first, trusting in him for forgiveness, for salvation, for a great life here on earth, and for eternal life with him later. It is the narrow road. And then finally, in verse 12, right before that, he says the golden rule. He says, so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And as I thought about this, I thought Jesus' teaching here, I think, is a little bit like a parent to kids as they get a little more mature, as they get more along in, in, in years. We tell our kids we love them. We provide for them as God provides for us. We provide, you know, shelter. Um, uh, we provide food. We provide the things they need. We help them go to school. We help teach them about life. That's what God does for us. On the other hand, we ask them to do their part. We expect them as our kids get older to make good choices. We teach them how to look adults in the eye, to have an adult conversation. And we, since we've taught them about what is right and wrong, we, we tell them we expect you uh, to do the right things and to treat others as you would have others to treat you. And I think that's how somewhat what God is saying to us through Jesus in this Matthew 7 passage. I love you. I will provide for you. Just ask, seek, and knock. And then treat others as you would have them treat you and choose the narrow road. Make the right choices. Recently, I found this old prayer partner, uh, this prayer notebook from the 1990s. It was by a lady named Becky Tirabasi, and it's called My Partner Prayer Notebook. And in it, she lays out kind of, a, I, th- I thought was a really, a really good thing. She says, we kind of have, we have God's part and my part. I'm going to call it that, God's part and my part, and make, make a little twist on that. In life, God does his part. He saves us. He loves us. He provides for us. He forgives us our sins. He provides more than his part. God does everything that we need. But yet, he asks us here in Matthew 7 and elsewhere, really throughout Scripture, to do our part as well. He tells us to ask, seek, and knock, to trust him. Don't worry. Seek him first, to put others before ourselves. It's okay to care for yourself, to provide self-care, but to put others as well. Think about what they need. And then today, not to judge others. We need to clear our eyes, clear our vision so we can see better and then to align our prayers and to align ourselves with what God's will is. So my part is to seek him first, not to worry. God's part is to provide for my needs as he provides for the birds of the air. God's part is that God loves us. He provides for us. My part is to ask God today for my daily bread. My part is not to judge, but to clear my vision, to see things more the way that God sees them. God's part is to be the judge, the only one who is holy and just and gracious and kind. My part is to choose the narrow road, to enter through the narrow gate, to choose Jesus. God's part is that he has already shown us the way, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. My part is to pray, to commit my prayers and all of our prayers to God in alignment with God's desires. God's part is to answer prayers in the best way because he is God. God's part is that he loved us first and our part is to love us back. God's part again is that he loved us first. Our part is to love our neighbors as ourselves. God's part again is that he loved us first and my part is to do unto others 
as you would have them do unto you. That is for all of us. God's part is that he loves us. He provides for his children. And my part is to ask, seek, and knock. So let's do our part now and go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you care for us, God, that you even hear our prayers. God, you teach us to seek you first, not to judge others, but to uh, reach out to you in prayer. God, we ask that you help us to respond to you by asking, seeking, and knocking, not to worry, but to seek you. We ask you to help us not to judge, but to have clear vision to see the world the way you see. God, and we knock on your door. We ask to know you better, that you help us to love our neighbors and to treat others as we would want to be treated. Lord, hear our prayers in this. And God, we ask your blessing on this meal that is before us, on this Lord's Supper, this communion meal. God, we give you thanks for it, that in this meal you have given us life, that we have life in you, that you sent Jesus to give his body and his blood, to give his very life, that we might be forgiven and have life through you. Life here on earth and eternal life in heaven. So we ask that you bless this meal and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.